Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. It's been a long time since I've said that, and I want to thank you for your patience as I took some time off to reassess what's happening with the search landscape. Today, I want to share with you how I believe Google's helpful content system has radically changed search. This is a really big deal for SEOs, and it's taken me a number of months to be able to formulate my thoughts on this. In this episode, I'm going to take you through some history, going back to the days where the Penguin algorithm devastated sites, and ending with how the helpful content system is doing the same today, but in different ways. If you've been a regular listener, you know that I've been studying Google's algorithms for a long time. When I started in SEO, I was actually a veterinarian. In, in 2008, I made a website. It was to help my clients and other people on the internet get good veterinary advice online because I was tired of clients coming to me saying, oh yeah, I found this advice on Yahoo Answers and it was completely wrong. And then I got sucked up into this thing called SEO, trying to figure out how do I get more people to come from search engines to my website? I've been obsessively trying to understand how Google works. Honestly, I don't even know why I do this, but eventually this turned into consulting with other people. I ran an agency for several years and I've spoken all around the world on what it is that Google's algorithms are built to reward. And let me tell you that I think that so many SEOs are focusing on Google's algorithms as they existed before AI was an integral part of how they rank websites. So in today's episode, what I'm going to share with you is how AI systems like the helpful content system have radically changed how Google ranks search results. I'm betting that many of the tasks that you do for your website on a regular basis, things you do because they're seen as good standard SEO practice, do very little to actually improve Google's rankings because they're not really doing much to make your content more helpful than competitors are. I've been doing site audits and assessing traffic drops for, gosh, my, my first site review was 2012. So 11 years of thoroughly analyzing sites that are struggling to rank. I started by trying to unravel the Penguin algorithm. And then many sites that were coming to me uh, for advice, they were hit by Panda. I'm gonna talk about Panda soon. There were the days of the updates that Glenn Gabe initially called phantom updates. These were, uh, you know, things that Google didn't announce. And we were told by Google later that these were actually something that we should be calling core updates. That's a term that you're probably familiar with today. And then let's talk about the end of 2022 more recently. This is when I stopped doing podcast because there was just too much to understand and so many changes happening with how Google ranked results. I was finding that every site that I was analyzing really seemed to be impacted by this helpful content system. But I was having trouble not only explaining that, but also coming up with practical strategies for recovery. The very first helpful content update rolled out on August 25th, 2022. Now, just a few weeks before that, I had an email from Google and it said, would you like to talk to us about this new algorithm change that we're going to have? And I was like, um, yes, you know, Google's never done that, reached out to, and it wasn't just me. There were many SEOs that Google reached out to. I got on a video call with Danny Sullivan from Google and Alex Yoon, who's head of communications and public affairs at Google. And they explained to me as much as they could about how this new helpful content system was going to work. It really was a bit of a vague discussion. I felt that the message that Google wanted to get out was that this update targets, and I, I want to get this right, content that exists just for SEO purposes. I'm going to explain more about that in a minute. They had a different name for the update at first, not the helpful content update. They were going to call it the people first update because it's meant to reward content that's created for people for existing audiences. And it punishes content that's created primarily for search engines. It's a little bit hard to grasp what that means. Content created for search engines. Hopefully by the end of this episode, you'll have a better understanding of whether this is the type of content that you're producing. 
I've spoken with a few site owners this week alone who have had an eye-opening moment when I pointed out the parts of their content that they wrote for search engines and not for people. So Google wanted to ensure that people still understood that much of what we do in the name of SEO is still good and helpful. Google's not against SEO. They have a whole guide to encourage us with what's good SEO practice. But also, Google's aware that a lot of the content that does well on the web, that ranks well, that uh, that takes up a lot of Google's index, does so more so because of a knowledge of SEO and the knowledge of what it is that Google's algorithms reward, rather than being actually the best option to put in front of searchers. So I want to talk about two types of SEO, and I want you to think about which camp you're in. One type of SEO is getting businesses found. If I'm a plumber and there are a hundred other plumbers in my city, I'm going to need the help of an SEO or somebody who understands search engines, particularly Google, to figure out how do I get seen on that first page or, or even how do my customers that I currently have find me online? How can more of them seek me out and find me online? Or, or maybe I have a store that exists in real life that has customers that buy my products or my services, and, and I would like to have more of these customers find me online. That business needs to be found and can benefit from the help of an SEO in a lot of cases to help them get found. No matter what happens in the future with AI, with large language model tools like ChatGPT or BARD changing search, businesses will still need to consult with those of us who understand the online landscape. SEO is not dead. However, there's a second type of SEO, and and I'm concerned for this group. A lot of you make money mostly from creating content or from driving people to content online. But that content was not created to serve an existing audience. Rather, you create this content because of the opportunity that Google has given us over the years. The more you get people to use Google to come to your content, the more money you make. And also, historically, the more money Google has made. It's a fantastic system. And and I've heard some people say, well, there's no way that Google would ever use AI to answer people's search queries rather than send people to websites because they'd be cutting off their own ad revenue. You know, that this is a whole other topic, which probably I need a few podcast episodes to explain. I think AI will completely reshape how money is made on the internet, especially when we talk about Project Tailwind or uh, Google's official name now is Notebook LM that will allow us to use AI that's grounded in our own Google Docs. Uh, I wrote a bunch in episode number 295 of newsletter this week uh, to talk about that. And I don't want to get off track here talking about the helpful content system. Hopefully I'll get more podcast episodes in talking about that. But I don't think Google's in trouble. I think they've got lots of ways that they can change the way that money is made online. So many of you do SEO because we have this opportunity to create content and then use our skills to drive traffic to that content, which allows our clients to make money. Uh, So that's different than doing SEO for a business with an existing audience. This is important. One of Google's questions that they tell us to ask ourselves, and and if you have been listening to podcasts for a long time, you know that I'm always talking about Google's helpful content questions. Uh, I have a link to it in the description of this show uh, so that you, if you have not read the helpful content criteria, this is super important. I have it open on my desk all day. I'm always, always referring back to it. So here's one of the questions. Do you have an existing or intended audience for your business or site that would find the content useful if they came directly to you? Last year, Barry Schwartz from Search Engine Roundtable did an interview with H.J. Kim from Google, and they talked about the Panda algorithm filter. Panda was a change that Google made in their search engines starting in 2011, and it's very important It was a change to improve the quality of the sites in the search results. Google gave us a list of questions to consider that are still important today. I've linked to these questions in the show notes for this episode again. They've been modified somewhat over the years. 
Eventually, Google moved them to a new page on core updates, and now they're on Google's page on creating helpful content. So these questions are so, so important. Does your content clearly demonstrate a firsthand expertise and a depth of knowledge? Another question is, if someone researched the site producing the content, would they come away with an impression that it's well-trusted or widely recognized as an authority on its topic? Do you think that people recognize you as an authority on your topics? If not, then you're not aligned with Google's recommendations on creating helpful content. Does the content provide original information, reporting, research, or analysis? And that goes along with the other question, does the content provide insightful analysis or interesting information that is beyond the obvious? I see so many people producing content that is essentially the same as what everybody else has produced. And historically, we could take our SEO knowledge, our link building knowledge, our technical skills to make Google's algorithms think yours tends to be better. Well, when Google gave us the original version of these questions with the introduction of Panda, they actually said in their blog post that they write algorithms to try and replicate the types of things that a human would find useful. I'm going to give you the exact quote. Here's what they say in their article on Panda. Below are some questions that one could use to assess the quality of a web page or an article. These are the kinds of questions we ask ourselves as we write algorithms that attempt to assess site quality. Think of it as our take at encoding what we think our users want. So let's go back to this interview with Barry Schwartz and H.J. Kim from Google. He was talking about Panda, H.J. Uh, Kim was, and he said that Panda was launched because Google was worried the web was going in a direction they didn't want it to go, with people creating copious amounts of content just for the sake of making content. I've linked to that episode as well, uh, where you can watch, I would recommend you watch the full interview because it is so informative. So even back in 2011, Google recognized that they were creating this monster in that websites, many websites, figured out that if we can create content and if we can understand how Google's algorithms work, then we can get a lot of visitors to that content and we can make a lot of money. And so massive corporations formed to create content. That's all that they did. And I can't imagine how many people are employed overall by these corporations. In, in 2017, I had this realization as I was analyzing a, a client with a traffic drop, I was seeing that the pages that were outranking them were ones that really did better align with Google's criteria. They had expert authors with really good author bios, uh, a number of other things that Google had laid out in their criteria, um, laid out in the quality raters guidelines, which really is the expanded version of the helpful content criteria. And that's when I realized that maybe it might just be possible for Google to build algorithms that actually reward what they say they want to reward. And if that's true, then holy cow, that's something we should be paying attention to, right? And yet there really wasn't at that time a logical explanation as to how Google could do this. Now, now that I understand more about Google's use of machine learning systems, it makes perfect sense to me how they can identify which content is most likely to be helpful. For many SEOs, especially those who have been in SEO for longer than I have, or have done more practical SEO work than I have, the, the things that are focused on the most are technical improvements and links. I want to talk about links, and then I'm going to get back to more explaining on how the helpful content system works and why it's so important. The link building industry is massive. So much money has been spent on links over the last decade or more. My first start in actually charging money to do SEO work was in understanding what it is that Google values in terms of links. I was in the SEO chat forums. They don't exist anymore, but it was such a great community. And there was a lot of talk about Google penalties, manual actions. This is where Google would individually decide that your website should be penalized or penalized is not always the best term, but should be not ranking as well as it is because they recognize that you're breaking their guidelines. 
At the time, I found it a really interesting topic that a search engine can just decide to penalize a website. And in some cases, they'd completely take that business out of the search results. In other cases, they were just suppressed in their ability to rank. And very few people at the time understood what it took to remove this type of manual action. What it took to remove them was brutal. Uh, this guy approached me in the forum. And so the guy sold eyeglasses on his website and he had built a ton of links to his website because links worked. That was the thing that worked back then. And when I say built links, this is back just before Penguin came out. He built links by finding every directory he could and putting a link to his website. And usually there was an anchor that had a keyword that he wanted to rank for, like eyewear or uh, Ray-Ban sunglasses, something specific that he wanted to rank for. And he would go to, uh, there were all sorts of um, websites where you could create an article and link back to yourself. Uh, many of you will remember eZine articles or another one was articles base. There were so many of these where you could basically write an article, choose your own anchor text, and then link back to yourself uh, to create these links that Google actually would reward. So this guy would write an article about, say, Ray-Ban sunglasses and link back to his website. And that type of thing worked so well until he got this manual action. It's important to keep in mind that this was a manual action, not Penguin, yet. Google was manually deciding that they were going to neutralize the links that were helping this website to rank. So he asked me in the forum, he said, can I pay you to remove this penalty from my website to figure out how to remove it? And I was like, um, I'm a veterinarian. I'm, I'm interested in SEO, but I don't do it professionally or anything. And he's like, well, do you want to give it a try? And he said, uh, if you succeed, I'll pay you $300. So I was like, okay, that's a challenge, you know, kind of a fun thing to do. And so I read every forum post I could find, everything in the Moz Q and A, uh, everything on, you know, everywhere that I could find, every blog post, every Matt Cuts video, and put together all of the best advice that I could uh, from Google and also the collective advice of SEOs who were discussing this type of penalty situation um, to make up a plan. Now, this was before we had the disavow tool. So I kind of just figured out that what Google wanted was uh, for us to identify which links were unnatural, were made for SEO purposes, and then to reach out to each of the site owners that published that link and ask for it to be taken down or you could add a nofollow tag to it. And, and then we would keep track of our progress in this big spreadsheet. So what I did was way more than $300 worth of work, but I figured out how to get that penalty lifted. And for the next client I took, now that I knew I could do it, I charged 10 times that amount. I, I really believe that when you're learning something, there's great value in doing some work for free or for low cost uh, to get your feet wet and to prove to yourself that your work is worth charging for. I did some of this over the last few months while analyzing sites hit by the helpful content system. I helped a whole bunch of people uh, and gave a bunch of advice out for free without charging for it. Um, and now that I understand the system well, you've got to pay for me to do a, a thorough assessment of your website. Well, that site, even though we got the manual action lifted, it never did recover after removing the penalty. Some sites have over the years. I've removed many penalties since then that uh, for sites that have seen really good recoveries, uh, but that particular site never recovered. And a lot of sites didn't. The reason is that those links worked until Google figured out how to stop them from working to improve your rankings. They worked to convince Google's algorithms that, hey, this site is about eyewear and lots of people are talking about it and linking to it. If a bunch of websites are saying, oh, this is the place that you have to buy Ray-Bans and Google has trouble determining with their algorithms that a link from, say, eZine articles is not actually a vote from somebody else about this site, well, then you can do a lot with that. And at the time, they could not figure out how to stop those links from making this site look better than it was, other than manually neutralizing those links. And in some cases, they completely took the site out of the search results. A manual action meant that somebody, like an actual human being, has looked at the website, 
looked at the backlink profile and decided that you're breaking Google's guidelines. Now, if that website was created today, nobody would build links that way on low quality directories on, you know, he had links on directories like best PR, best page rank directory.com or, um, you know, high links directory, things like that. At the time, though, Google couldn't figure out how to stop those things from working. That kind of link was actually quite helpful before Penguin. So they started giving out these manual actions. Well, then in April of 2012, Google ran an algorithmic update that they called the Penguin Update. And now at the time I'm involved in all these conversations in forums on manual penalties and how Google values links and how these types of things work. And people are starting to look to me for advice on this penguin update. The penguin update, if you were not around in, uh, in SEO in 2012, was catastrophic for some websites. There were sites that had 90% or more of their traffic just completely disappear with this update. There were empires that were built on understanding how Google valued links in their algorithms and how to manipulate that, how to make networks of links that really made it look like people were recommending your website. And, and a lot of those just died overnight. So I, I know so many people people whose story was that they were making thousands, sometimes even millions of dollars building links to prop up their content. And then Penguin happened and all of these rankings, uh, or worse, their clients' rankings were gone. With the Penguin algorithm, Google figured out how to algorithmically deal with the worst of the problems in terms of people manipulating rankings with links. And you know what? I'm just realizing something now as I'm recording this podcast. Uh, those manual actions, I, I've often wondered why would Google spend that much time and those many, that much resource on manual actions? The number of people that they must have paid to review reconsideration requests. The, there was a time, I would say maybe 2013 uh, or so, where I was submitting multiple requests per day with so many sites reaching out with new manual actions. I hired people, I trained my neighbors and my friends to remove penalties. There were so many sites manually penalized by Google at the time. Why did they invest so much time into the process of manually reviewing these sites? I think that the whole time Google was learning as we gave them spreadsheets of links that we admittedly had made and were trying to remove or eventually we disavow those links were examples that they could use to train their machine learned systems about spam about unnatural links. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. I know I was learning every time that I removed a penalty, I saw another link scheme. I learned more about the types of manipulation that worked for Google's uh, algorithms. And I learned which types of links Google was targeting with their manual actions. Links, they were the core of Google's algorithm for a long time. Links were the thing that made Google better than all the other search engines. I used Excite for many years, Lycos, Yahoo, they all existed before Google, but it was Google's use of links. The idea that if a lot of people link to a piece of content, then it must be a pretty good piece of content. That was revolutionary. Now, the Penguin algorithm is a strange thing. Every time Google ran a Penguin update, I would say, see, Google is just getting better at ignoring unnatural links and you should all stop building links just to prop up your rankings. Yet people who built links, people who I trusted, uh, I know a lot of people who are working in black hat SEO or even legitimate white hat SEOs who were doing things to, to get links would continually tell me that many types of links were still clearly being rewarded by Google's algorithms. I think many still are today. Google's documentation on their ranking systems tells us that PageRank, so PageRank is uh, why we build links, was the core of Google's ranking system. And, and it's still important today, but how they use it has changed significantly over the years. When, when you can truly get people to link to you, to be recommending you, not because of your marketing efforts, although, I mean, you can still do marketing efforts. You, you want to get the word out about your, your site, your business, your products. Um, but if you can do stuff that earns links 
earns recommendations from those who matter in your industry, I do think those are still very valuable. They speak to your EEAT. They are one of the many criteria that Google can use to evaluate whether content is likely to be helpful. Links have always been important, but I think they're way less important than a lot of SEOs think. With all of this said, if you are struggling to get good links, um, you can reach out to me. I have some connections from companies that I feel do good work in this area, but a good link builder, somebody who can truly help you attract the kind of link Google wants to recognize and reward is really expensive now because it's not easy getting the kind of link that Google wants to consider in their algorithms. And also there's so much more to creating helpful content than just links. I'm going to get there in a minute, but let's go back and talk about Penguin. When Google first announced Penguin, the announcement didn't really actually talk about links. It, it talked about manipulation, about keyword stuffing. It showed a bunch of screenshots of just pages that had a whole bunch of keywords on them, like complete gibberish. And, and it talked about web spam in general, but it took a little while before the SEO community unanimously agreed that Penguin was primarily about links. And then Matt Cutts, who was head of web spam at Google, confirmed that uh, he said on Twitter that yes, links were the primary area of concern for sites that were impacted by Penguin. I spent many years trying to understand Penguin because lots of legitimate businesses who paid for what ended up being low quality SEO, kind of like shortcut SEO, where they just built links because links worked, real businesses were hurt by Penguin. And there was very little guidance from Google on what businesses could do if they were affected. I had many businesses turn to me for help. And here I am, a veterinarian with an interest in SEO, trying to learn all I can to help these businesses. And then eventually Google gave us this tool they called the disavow tool. So instead of getting links removed, we could, uh, we could just say, here's a list of links and Google, we don't want you to count those in our, in your algorithms. I experimented with using it so much. And in my experience, in removing manual actions. When you have a manual action for unnatural links, it's really difficult to get it removed unless you've made efforts to remove or disavow almost every single link that was made for SEO purposes. Uh, trust me, you do not want to get a manual action. It was super interesting to see the types of links that Google chose to penalize and how they changed over the years. Years ago, we'd see sites penalized for widespread article publishing and low quality directory links, but gradually it got harder and harder to distinguish when we were uh, doing a link audit for sites, what the unnatural links were from the actually truly earned links, the ones that we'd say, yeah, Google wants to reward this. For several years, I had an entire team of people that would, we'd sit around a table and we'd go through the links that were made, uh, that were pointing to a website and we'd decide one by one, whether each link was one that was made for SEO purposes, whether it was one that was just, you know, the type of spam that every site gets, or whether it was a link that Google's algorithms were likely to consider valuable and worthy of counting. Our process was to just be very aggressive and get rid of everything that smelled like SEO. Because if we didn't do this, we would fail our reconsideration request repeatedly until we had been wildly cutthroat in identifying links made for SEO purposes. Um, one quick tip, if you're dealing with a manual action and if you've had several failed attempts, Something that would work for me, uh, and this was only, you know, when we got to the point where I was like, man, we've removed everything that uh, really should be considered an SEO made link. I would file a reconsideration request that essentially said like, look, we've done all we can to identify links made for SEO. We've removed what we can, we've disavowed the rest, and there's nothing more we can do. And then often magically, Google would just remove the penalty. So who knows? Perhaps they were just using these sites that had built on natural links and squeezing them to get as many examples of, of possible uh, as possible of, of links that were made just for SEO so that they could use those links to train their uh, AI spam models to detect unnatural links. That's another topic for a, a whole other. Although if you think you've been uh, impacted by links, I did do a podcast episode on the October spam update last year. Was that last year or the year before? 
gosh, there was an October spam update. You can find the podcast episode. And uh, it talks a lot about um, uh, Google algorithmically determining unnatural links. I would highly recommend listening to that. The, the reason why I'm talking about all of these manual penalties, the, the manual penalties were for things that Google couldn't figure out algorithmically, like we said, the low quality directory links, the keyword anchored links. In 2012, that's the type of link that we were dealing with for these manual actions. By 2020, the manual actions that Google was giving us they were for super sophisticated link building campaigns that were extremely difficult to distinguish from naturally earned links. Now, let me tell you what happened to Penguin. I know I'm jumping in between manual actions and Penguin. Hopefully you're following me here. I want to talk about Penguin in 2016. So there's this funny story. If you've seen people say on Twitter, oh, Google's doing an algorithm update. Marie Haynes must be on vacation. Here's the story why. I spent so much of my life trying to understand this penguin algorithm. I had so many businesses that were like waiting on every word that I said uh, in under in trying to learn about this algorithm, knowing that like nobody really knew exactly what was best for sites impacted, but I was doing my best to try to figure it out. And this is kind of where we're at with the helpful content system today and also the review system. Um, between 2014 and 2016, I had so many clients that were struggling and had filed disavows and they were waiting for Penguin to run again to see if they'd recover. Because back then you couldn't recover from a Penguin hit until you cleaned up and then Google ran another update. And then at one point, a Google employee said, somebody asked them, you know, what's happening with Penguin? Because I wasn't the only one that was waiting for, uh, for businesses to, to be able to recover. Well, this Google employee said, hang in there. We're going to be running another update within the next quarter. And then two years went by, almost two years, and we still had not had a Penguin update. Why did it take so long? It makes sense to me now. I had business after business that were like, I don't know, maybe we should start over with a brand new website. We had all these strategies. I, I did have some businesses that started over. We did like one of them, we did all these things with uh, redirecting their links through an intermediate domain that was blocked by robots. And, and the idea was that that would pass, uh, stop the signals that were passing. But then Google figured out that the content was the same and they canonicalized all the links. It, it was really, really hard to get rid of uh, this penguin issue. So some people argued, you know, well, these businesses deserve to suffer because they tried to cut corners and they got away with low quality link building. But many of these businesses just hired an SEO agency and had no clue that the person who was building links for them was actually breaking Google's guidelines in doing so. So when Google finally did run another penguin update, it was September of 2016. And that was also the first time in many years that I decided to travel. I went on a little trip and played a, a tournament um, for Ingress. I don't know if any of you have played Ingress. I don't do it anymore, but it was a lot of fun. Well, when Penguin launched, uh, you know, here's the funny bit about me traveling. I was on a train with barely any internet connection. <laughs> and, uh, and so I couldn't, uh, after two years of waiting for this update to happen, I couldn't analyze it. And then there were a few other times that, uh, I, we were waiting for an update and Google ran it while I was traveling. So I'm telling you, I haven't traveled in a while. Uh, COVID changed a lot. And uh, I'm speaking in the fall at a couple of events. So be warned. Now, why did it take so long for Google to rerun Penguin? Let me tell you about Penguin 4.0 in 2016. Google was kind of vague about it. They told us Penguin was now more granular in its ability to assess links. And also instead of penalizing websites, it was now able to neutralize the effects of unnatural links. That's a big deal. The thing was though, they didn't really officially communicate any of this. We found that information out in random social media posts, in like Facebook posts, not official and not Facebook posts from like Google, from just Google employees who were talking about uh, the update. There was very little from Google that the average business owner, um, you know, could grab and say, oh, okay, this is what's happening with my website. With Penguin 4.0, Google lifted this suppression that was on many, many sites. 
many sites that had been involved in unnatural link building began to rank again, even some sites that had not filed disavows. Now, I had all sorts of theories on the time on what happened with Penguin, but there's something that I didn't know. And there's a really important piece of information that I didn't know at the time. I've only just recently found out when Dr. Pete from Moz published an article on Google's updates over the years. Dr. Pete Myers is a data scientist. He's such a really cool guy. He put together this heat map. It's a document um, of Google uh, algorithm updates. And, you know, if you hear me tweeting uh, about things like, oh, the SEMrush sensor or MozCast, which is Dr. Pete's tool, is high today, that means that there was a lot of shakeup in the search results. There were a lot of changes in ranking positions. And so probably Google's doing some type of an update to their algorithms that's significant enough to impact a lot of sites. Lately, these tools have been showing wild turbulence almost every single day. Uh, the SEMrush sensor just this week hit 9.4, which they call a Google quake, but it's been super high for, for months now. So uh, it, it's, it's really, there has been a lot, a lot of change. So when you look at Dr. Pete's heat map, where red means that there's a lot more algorithm turbulence, uh, there's a really obvious point when it starts to just turn orange and then it's consistently orange or red from that point on. And you can probably see where I'm going with this story. That date where things shifted to a state of constant turbulence was late September of 2016, the same time when Penguin ran, Penguin 4.0 ran. So now it makes sense to me. You know, We've been seeing these statements from Google lately telling us that they've been what they call an AI first company, artificial intelligence first company for seven years now. Well, seven years ago was 2016. So I expect that Penguin 4.0 was actually the introduction of new AI systems into Google's algorithms. The more they can rely on AI systems to determine which pages are high quality and helpful, the less they need to rely on links as a proxy. So instead of saying this page has a lot of links pointing to it, therefore it must be one that people find helpful, they can now say this content has several characteristics that align with our model that's designed to determine whether content is helpful. Now, each time Google ran an update, whether it was an announced update, like a core update or a product reviews update, or more recently a helpful content update, Every time I analyzed sites that were struggling, I'd look at content that Google had elevated and try to find patterns on what had changed. One of these updates was not announced as an update, but a day where many sites saw wild changes uh, in rankings. This was February 7th, 2017. Uh, since then, someone from Google has told me that this was actually an unannounced Panda update, but we had no official word from Google on what happened on that day. Now, you might remember us talking about Fred in March of 2017. I think what we called Fred was, you know, this big change to improve quality actually started a month before that in February. When I analyzed content that was impacted on that particular day, the pattern that I noticed that was consistent across all of the sites that uh, I analyzed was that Google promoted um, content in this case that had author bios, where the authors had the type of expertise that users might find helpful, just like they described in the Panda questions. So I did a review in early 2018 uh, for a site that had previously suffered a catastrophic drop in February of 2017. And I shared my thoughts on what Google's algorithms were rewarding. And they took that advice seriously. They went out and they hired expert authors. They did a bunch of things to improve uh, things like how they uh, referenced content and, and other things. I gave them this document of over 100 pages of things that Google had said uh, were aligned with content quality that didn't really, uh, they didn't demonstrate on their websites. And so they made all sorts of changes. Uh, this certainly was not an inexpensive decision for them because hiring medical expertise was terribly expensive, but it paid off tremendously for them with the August 1st, 2018 medic update. Uh, they had, uh, which was a core update. Um, they had incredible increases in very, very profitable keywords. 
for the last several years with almost every single Google, significant Google update, whether it's announced or not, there's one super obvious pattern. It's not author bios. It's not reputation, although that can be a factor, but there's one specific difference when looking at pages that Google's algorithm started to prefer and comparing those to uh, the site that I'm analyzing that has had traffic drops. I have a whole system that I've made now where I can determine which keywords have declined in an update and, and which competitors Google has clearly elevated uh, against them. And it's amazing to see how one page often just shoots out of nowhere to start outranking the sites I'm analyzing, often coinciding with the day of an update. There's one really obvious thing though, and that is that the page that Google elevated is just a better page to meet the needs of someone who searched for that query. The page is more helpful. So let's talk about how Google identifies which content is likely to be helpful. Let's talk about the helpful content system. I recently wrote a massive article on this system. I'd encourage you to take the time to read it. It took me over six months to research and write it, probably longer than that actually. But my hope is this article and also this podcast episode that you're listening to will help to shift your mindset so that instead of focusing mostly on producing pages that are technically sound, load quickly, make good use of internal links, I mean, those are all good things, but I'd love to see more focus on producing content that actually is the best option for Google to put in front of someone. Google's helpful content system uses AI to reward sites with consistently helpful content. And it demotes sites by putting a classification on them whose content usually isn't the best option to put in front of searchers. It's a hard concept for us to grasp because it doesn't fit into what we've been taught about how Google's algorithms work. As SEOs, we understand PageRank. And for many years, PageRank was at the core of Google's algorithms. Here's what Google says in their documentation on the many systems that are used in ranking. One of those systems they talk about, they've called it link analysis systems and PageRank. I'm going to read from Google's documentation. We have various systems that understand how pages link to each other as a way to determine what pages are about and which might be the most helpful in response to a query. Among these is PageRank, one of our core ranking systems used when Google first launched. Those curious can learn more about reading the original PageRank research paper and patent. How PageRank works has evolved a lot since then and continues to be a part of our core ranking systems. So PageRank is a component of EEAT. Links are still a signal that Google can use when they're assessing whether a page is likely to be helpful. For many years, links were the best signal that Google could use. If you write a new article and a bunch of people link to it, especially if those links were from relevant sources or better yet, authoritative relevant sources, then there's a good chance that people are gonna find that page helpful. But now Google has this helpful content system. The system generates a signal and they can use that signal uh, in search. The signal says whether your content is likely to be helpful or not. And if your traffic has been declining and you can't figure out why, then there's a good chance that the system is to blame. In my article, I talk about several dates that I think were really uh, important to the helpful content system. I'm not gonna mention them all, but I'll say that so many sites were impacted in November of 2022, uh, which just happens to be a few months after the launch of the helpful content system. And I find that interesting because Google says that uh, the system, if it detects that your content, if you've removed unhelpful content and it has remained that way for a few months, then uh, there might be changes in the classification that, that you receive. So I think that um, so many sites that were impacted either the first week of November or a really common day is November 15th were strongly impacted by this helpful content system. And in every case, when I look at content that suffered and compare it to content that started to thrive, it's super obvious that the competitor's content is just more helpful. Let me give you some examples. In one case, uh, the website that I was reviewing was offering online flower delivery. 
And the landing page that I was assessing, one that had dropped uh, since November, uh, I can't remember exactly when, but it was since a uh, an update that I felt was related to the helpful content system, um, started with a paragraph that said something like, are you looking for online flower delivery? We offer blah, blah, blah. And it had this big, long paragraph of words that humans are going to skip over. Because the user came to that page not to learn about what online flower delivery is, but to order some flowers. Why do we put words like that on our pages? It's for search engines. Those words are part of why that site used to rank really well. Because those words made the pages look relevant to the topic. The, the page that started to outrank my client, um, at the very top of that page was a form that you could use to order flowers from them. This was the part of the content that met the searcher's need. It was more helpful. In another case, uh, a page was writing about the fastest WordPress themes. And again, their article started with words like, um, you know, why do you need a fast WordPress uh, theme? A fast WordPress theme has blah, blah, blah. All sorts of verbiage at the top of the page but it took several scrolls of content for the user to actually find some examples of fast WordPress themes. That's the reason why they went there. Um, now, the competitor that started to outrank them, they had a little bit of this same type of verbiage at the top, uh, but within the first scroll of content, they had a chart that listed the themes that they recommend and a really brief explanation as to why. Now, I wouldn't say that it was absolutely the best option for searchers, but their page was a little bit more helpful than the one of the site that I was reviewing. And also this site was one that actually sells WordPress themes, which gives them firsthand experience. That's one of Google's helpful content criteria. Uh, again, they say, do you have an existing audience for your business or site that would find the content useful? For the site that I was analyzing, this is going to be really hard for them to overcome because they're a site that writes about WordPress themes in order to outrank a site that actually sells WordPress themes and has real life experience with real life customers. They're going to need to find ways to make their content substantially more valuable and helpful than what currently exists online. And, and that's no easy task. A few links are not going to change that. Um, you know, the, the traditional, if they improve their, the, how fast the page loads, yeah, it might make it a little bit more helpful, but it's not going to make it uh, substantially more helpful than what currently is ranking online. So how could an algorithm know that type of thing? It's not like Google has a, you know, a, a point system where they're like, oh, there's three points because you have a table and maybe two points because your page loads fast. No, in, instead what they do is they use machine learning, which is AI to build a model that's really good at looking at a whole bunch of characteristics that could align with quality and then predict whether other pages are likely to align with those characteristics as well. The way that machine learning works is it's just math. It's a mathematical model that in this case looks at examples of content that's helpful and also many examples of content that's actually unhelpful. And then the model learns to recognize the characteristics that tend to make content helpful or unhelpful. And in doing so, they can predict whether any content on the web is likely to be aligned with this model of helpfulness. And it turns out that a couple of years ago, they modified the quality rater guidelines to add this line that says the raters are providing Google with examples of helpful and unhelpful results. I, I wrote uh, another article this week on how the raters are used, uh, and I've linked to that in the notes as well. Um, there's a fantastic article also linked to by Stephen Wolfram who explains how neural networks work. If you want to learn more about this math, I would encourage you to start there. It, he's talking about chat GPT in this article, um, but really it's about neural networks uh, overall. It blew my mind when I realized that all of this is just math. The very same day that I read that article, 
I had to help my ninth grader with her math homework and she was studying linear algebra. And so linear algebra, it took me a while to remember grade nine math, um, but there's an equation, y equals mx plus b. I'm not going to explain the math, but this equation, you can use it to basically determine whether any particular data point is likely to be on a line that you've graphed out, a straight line. It's essentially a mathematical model that can predict, is that data aligned with this one line? With machine learning, what Google can do is they can create much more complex mathematical models, not just with X and Y, but with many, many components. And the concept is the same. The helpful content system finds the right mathematical equation to create a model that predicts whether content is aligned with what a user is likely to find helpful. So if this model finds that content on your site is consistently not aligned with what they want their system to reward, then they can place a classification on your site that classifies it as unhelpful. And then this will make it more difficult for any of your content to rank well. Okay, I, hopefully you're still with me because that was a lot. And I think I'm going to be unpacking this for quite some time as I continue with, uh, with podcasts. And I really do hope to have continual podcast episodes again. Here's what you need to know. Google tells us, and this is a quote from Google, search runs on hundreds of algorithms and machine learning models. And Google's able to improve it when uh, their systems, new and old, can play well together. Each algorithm and model has a specialized role and they trigger at different times and in distinct combinations to help deliver the most helpful results. Ultimately, we don't need to understand these systems. We don't need to understand the math that Google is using because we already know what the model is built to reward. That's the helpful content criteria that Google's given us. So I'm sure you have a lot more questions about this system. I've explained a lot more in my article. It's called Google's helpful content and other AI systems may be impacting your site's visibility. And I've linked to it again below. If you think you're impacted by this system, there's a whole bunch more in my helpful content workbook. There's a whole bunch of exercises that I've put together to help you determine what it is that your searchers, that your audience are looking for and how you can analyze what Google's rewarding. And you can take these criteria to improve the helpfulness of your content and improve your chances of aligning with what it is that Google wants to reward. If you were impacted by the helpful content system, it is possible to recover. I have seen some sites that I believe have recovered. Um, it will take a few months and uh, then magically one day you may find that Google removes the classification or uh, removes the weighting on the classification and you're able to rank again. Uh, but it takes significant work in removing uh, stuff that's unhelpful and that might not just be thin pages. It might be words on pages that are just there for search engines. Um, and also improving your content so it actually is the most helpful and the most substantially valuable content that Google can put in front of someone. I want to thank you for your patience and waiting for podcasts to resume. I, I seriously, I put it on hold for seven months now so that I could focus on understanding and communicating uh, what's important about this system. And I really want to thank all of you who reached out to me to tell you that you missed podcast. Uh, you, you have no idea how much you have helped me and supported me in, in saying that. Um, I'm not sure if I'll be on a regular cadence as before uh, in, in putting out podcast, but I do plan to put out a whole bunch more content now that I've got everything organized for myself. Um, and I also have another project that I'm soon about to share a bunch more on and and that's a community for us to discuss uh, this type of thing more. So stay tuned on information for that. Thanks so much for listening. And I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. <laughs>